have your Bibles, I want you to take them to Acts chapter number 8. Acts chapter number 8. Last week we started a little mini-series on the roads of the Christian life, something that's been within my heart for a while to share. And last week we looked at Acts chapter number 9 and the conversion, the road of conversion where we see Saul of Tarsus being converted. But I want to take a step back now and look at chapter number 8. Of course, all the Christian life begins on the road of conversion. And so we've got to start there even though it's in chapter 9. But I think chapter number 8 gives us a... You know, and I didn't put the right text up there. So, yeah, we're going to be in chapter number 8. Just ignore the text that's up there. You can go to that first screen and I'll I'll read the text for you. But Acts chapter number 8 and look at verse number 26. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. And today I want to speak to you about the road, the Gaza road. And I want to talk to you about the road of commission. The road of commission. And Acts chapter number 8 and verse number 26 and through down through verse number 40, the end of the chapter, we'll go through these uh, individually close up and, and give you more of the background as we go into it. But I just want to read it as a start reading here in Acts uh, chapter number 8 verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way which goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. There's where I get my Gaza road. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge over all her treasure, and come to Jerusalem for to worship. And was returning, and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near, and draw, join thyself uh, to this chariot. And so Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he had read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And they, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, uh, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and, and passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. I want to speak to you this morning on the Gaza Road, the road of commission. On May 26, 2002, it was Memorial Day weekend, a, a barge pilot passed out uh, as he was guiding the barge down a river and hit a span of I-40 over the Arkansas River. The accident dropped a 600-foot span of the bridge 62 feet down into the swift-flowing river below. Eleven people in a trailer full of show horses died when their cars and 18-wheelers drove over the edge of the missing span, one piling on top of the other in the river. Now, during this accident, there were several fishermen on the river in a bass competition who saw the bridge collapse and realizing that the cars and trucks 
were still coming over the edge, one fisherman below uh, the bridge reached into the boat's emergency uh, kit for, uh, for an emergency flare. And whipping out the flare up, he fired it into the air, uh, into position, and let it fly. And up, 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 the flare went onto the bridge. Well, little did he know that there's an 18-wheeler passed down uh, uh, on the bridge, heading towards this precipice, this, this missing portion. The flare hit the windshield of the 18-wheeler, causing him to slam on the brakes and jackknife the trailer, stopping all traffic in going off the edge of the bridge. And so it it was a warning. It was a warning shot that stopped everyone from going off the precipice. Here, as you and I walk the roads of the Christian life, we are confronted with something very similar uh, to that on the Gaza Road what I would like to call a road of commission. Somewhat like these fishermen in our story, uh, the story I just told you, you and I have a shining flare in our emergency kit. And that shining flare is the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves men and women who are daily dropping off into the judgment of God. The question for us this morning is, will we pull the flare out? Will we, on our Great Commission Road, fire the warning shot so that other others might heed to that warning and be saved by God's grace? I want us to look at Luke's account here in the book of Acts of Philip the Evangelist's encounter with this Ethiopian eunuch on the road to Gaza and understand how it sheds light on each and every one of our Great Commission responsibilities. I'm sorry, but the Great Commission just wasn't given to the twelve. It just wasn't given to the first century church. We have to grapple with the reality that it's given to all successive ages that we all have a commission to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want to do this under six headings or or maybe six descriptions along the path of this text. And the first description I want you to see is a divine directing. A divine directing. You know when I mention the Great Commission, do you know what I'm talking about? Officially, do you know what the Great Commission is? It's that great assignment given by the Lord Jesus to the church. The assignment making the gospel known throughout the world. In Matthew, it comes in 28, 19 and 20. Jesus saying, go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. In Mark's gospel, it comes in these words from Jesus, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Luke's gospel, it comes in chapter 24, when Jesus said, thus it is written, And thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. It is actually kind of obliquely hit in John's gospel when in John 20, 21, Jesus says, Peace unto you, as my Father sent me, so send I you. And then it is blatantly in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter number 8 where Jesus tells His disciples, "Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's the Great Commission. And that Great Commission, I believe, is given to us in a microcosm in chapter number 8. In small in a small caricature or miniature in chapter number 8. Of course, Philip here that's being spoken of is not Philip the Apostle. Do you remember Jesus called a certain one to be an apostle that was Philip? That is not who we're seeing here. We're seeing Philip the Evangelist or better also known as Philip the Deacon. 
Do you remember Acts chapter number 6? There was a problem in the early church in which the distribution of food was not being done correctly and the apostles could not do that and ministry all together so they assigned several deacons. They, they, they brought these men together and they assigned them deacons. Well that's what Philip was. And he became an evangelist after Acts chapter number 7 when Stephen was stoning. If you'll follow the, the flow of the book of Acts after the stoning of Stephen, persecution hit the church. It broke out spearheaded by Saul of Tarsus who we looked at last week. Saul of Tarsus was a murderer. He was a one that imprisoned those that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that persecution hit the church and, and the, the Christian church that had grown quite comfortable and quite accustomed to the surroundings of Jerusalem and it had multiplied by thousands. You remember on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were saved. You continue to follow that. A thousands of here, thousands there. This church could easily be eight to 10,000 people large all nestled there in Jerusalem, all together there and then they've grown quite accustomed but when persecution hit they begin to fan out uh, look with me in, in verse number 4 and therefore they were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word they were sent out Tertullian that early church father said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church and that is exactly what took place Stephen's blood was shed his life was given and because of the persecution that hit that followed Christianity began to fan out all over the surrounding areas and so then we see in Acts 8 4 it says that they went preaching the word the word the logo that word word there means logos it's it's a word uh, that is used often in Greek philosophy. It is the main point of a message. It is a message that is being shared. A central message that a teacher would give. It's his Logos. The Logos. Jesus himself is that message from God. In John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. That Word, same Word here. Logos. It's that message everywhere in Jerusalem. That message would have been preached. And now it is being preached in Judea. Jerusalem is nestled in Judea. Judea is more like the countryside that surrounded Jerusalem. So Christians could not but help share the Logos, the Word in Jerusalem. And then we see it go even further uh, to, uh, to Samaria. Do you remember the, the section in Acts chapter number 8? where we just read a moment ago how that Christians were to be witnesses by the Lord Jesus. Jesus tells them that they're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria. You can't help but see that Judea was evangelized because they had to go out into the countryside to get out of Jerusalem. And so there they go gossiping the gospel. And then we see also Jesus mentioned Samaria. Samaria was the half-breed. Samaria were the ones that you couldn't walk through the countryside. You remember how that Jesus with his disciples in John 4 said that he must needs go through Samaria? It was very shocking for him to do that because no, no, self, uh, no self-righteous or no, uh, no uh, self, uh, uh, self-pious Jew would ever set foot in Samaria. And so uh, they would always walk around Samaria because they were half-breeds. They had, they had false gods. They're, uh, they're, they're, through their lineage and through the, uh, the, the things that had befallen them and being left back by the exile, uh, they had many strange beliefs. But here we find Philip now, he goes down into Samaria just as Jesus said they would. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And so he goes down. And we find, where is it at, in, uh, in verse number, let's see, uh, verse number 5. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria, Samaria and preached Christ unto them. So we find Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, that's in microcosm. What does that mean for us? That means Trenton. 
Uh, that means New England, Morganville, and, and all the little surrounding areas. That means Chattanooga. Uh, that means North Georgia and South, Southeast Tennessee. It's an ever-growing bubble that we are to follow as well. That same pattern that's spreading out and telling the good news. And then also, what about the uttermost parts of the earth? Well, that's where that comes in the latter part of, of chapter number 8 where we see this Ethiopian eunuch coming out of Jerusalem. Now, Ethiopian here uh, does not necessarily uh, depict a geographic location more than it does in describing an ethnicity. This was a black man. This was a man of, of deep, dark African uh, pigment in his skin. He was a black man. He was a, a, a darker ethnicity. And this black man was more than likely coming from the region of Sudan or Yemen in Africa. Uh, these... Uh, so as crusades were taking place in Samaria and souls are being saved, an Ethiopian eunuch from the far reaches of the world just so happens to be coming down out of Jerusalem and heading home after his worship there in the, at, at the temple in the city of Jerusalem. And so here, here this, this Ethiopian eunuch as he comes out, the light is being dawned upon him. He's beginning to have some kind of understanding. Uh, God then directs Philip to go down to and meet this, uh, this, uh, this Ethiopian. That comes in in verse number 26. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth from Jerusalem unto Gaza into the desert. And he gets there in Gaza and all of a sudden there's this tiny plume of smoke running along the highway and it's a chariot and it's going from Jerusalem down towards Gaza and he sees what's taking place there. Whatever we draw from this, we can draw this. One thing is that God knows what He's doing. God is bringing and, and orchestrating a gospel encounter to fulfill His Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, He is orchestrating behind the scene. You and I are called just as much as the early Christians who went everywhere preaching the good news of Christ to walk the same road that Philip walked. I'm not talking about geographically. I'm not talking about you uh, getting on a plane and going over there and walking some desert road outside of Gaza and get, and get killed by some, by some Arabs over there. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about walking the same road of commission. The same road of endeavoring to see people come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Wherever we walk, do you realize this? Wherever we walk, there is no accident. There is a God in heaven who directs in the affairs of men. His unseen hand is always active and working to bring the lost uh, sinner under the sound of the gospel message. Now, uh, truth be told, uh, we, we don't have angels that speak to us. I, I, I kind of I, I don't necessarily believe in that in that kind of direction. I believe it's reserved for that early early apostolic era of the word being uh, not fully canonized yet. Uh, that's my own personal uh, belief in that. We can argue about that, but we don't necessarily, I believe, have angels. But we do have promptings. We do have things that take place in our life, uh, different directings, different, uh, different choices that we make. And in behind those choices of the person who has yielded their life to Jesus Christ, who is seeking for the filling of the Spirit, for God to direct their path, He will do it. Just like He did with Philip. He will direct us into a place of His active working. God was already working in this guy's heart. God was already working in this eunuch's heart as he left Jerusalem. And he does so, he works in other people's heart and uses us in the same way. Uh, not only divine directing, but we also see a spiritual shaping. A spiritual shaping. On this Gaza road, you and I can depend upon the shaping of every encounter by the Holy Spirit. Now look with me in verse number 29. So Philip now, he's arrived at the scene. He's come to this road. 
And the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Notice, it is the Holy Spirit that is shaping and molding this encounter. When Philip arrives, it is the Spirit of God that prompts him to draw near to the Ethiopian chariot. He is completely unaware of what the Spirit of God has already been doing in his life. Like I said earlier, this Ethiopian more than likely uh, come from an area that we would call Yemen or the Sudan. It's near Ethiopia in its location, but more than likely its capital or its uh, large uh, uh, conglomeration of people would have been in this particular area in Sudan and Yemen. Christianity came to Ethiopia at a very early uh, date, probably introduced into the country by this eunuch himself. Uh, The Ethiopian king there is known in history as the child of the sun. And he's far too busy to deal with mundane issues of running a secular, the secular affairs of a kingdom. And such menial tasks were given to the queen mother. If you'll notice in verse number 27, it says under the authority, under Candace. Candace is not a first name. You know, I've got a, I think I've got a, a second cousin whose name is Candace. It's not, a, it's not a first name of somebody. This is a title. It is the title borne by the queen mother. So the king currently had a mother who was alive, and it was her responsibility to take care a lot of the affairs of the nation secularly. And so this eunuch works for Candace, the queen. The Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian in our text, is a eunuch. And now, in the East, eunuchs were often attained positions of great power and trust. Uh, the phrase rendered of great authority comes from the word from which we get our English word potentate. Uh, this guy was a high up. This guy was a leading, uh, a leading uh, person in this ministration, in this administration there uh, of this queen. He was a, a high up. Uh, this man held a high office as a native. And he was in effect, we could call him easily, the secretary of the treasury. treasury. Now God can use anyone in his kingdom for his glory. God can use anyone to bring a nation for his honor and glory. But the position that this man was in afforded him as a future follower of Jesus Christ gave him a position of influence within the nation. When we see the shaping of the Holy Spirit, in fact, this man was a Gentile God-fearer. Old Testament law forbid him from becoming a proselyte because he was a eunuch. I, I don't know if you understand what a eunuch is, but a eunuch is a man who just doesn't have parts uh, of a man. He is a person uh, that is given a lot of trust in a certain high up positions. And, and this man, in the Old Testament, a eunuch was forbid to be a proselyte or a converted into a Jew. But obviously this man had been introduced to the living God. He had been introduced to the one true God. He, he knew something of Him. We could well say he was on a quest to find out more of this God. The text says that he went to worship. He went to go find out more about this God. He may well have gone into the temple, into the outer court, which a eunuch could do. The court of the Gentiles. He, he may well have gone in to make different offerings there in the court of the Gentiles. He could, he could talk to rabbis and priests and Levites in that area. He was a foreign dignitary and would have had access to members of the Sanhedrin, even Annas and Caiaphas, both the high priests in that time. He might have had access to them. I like what Dr. John Phillips said, but oh, the bitter disappointment. Like Martin Luther, when he first came to Rome, the eternal city of his dreams, how bitterly disappointed this eunuch must have been. The materialism, the hypocrisy, the intolerance, the the narrow exclusivism, the squabbles and sectarianism, and all of the above, the deadness of of, of Judaism. And no doubt there was a God that had been providentially working behind the scenes. We find Him in a, in a quest 
not just to see the, uh, the regalia of worship in Jerusalem and take that as its word, but he is devouring the scriptures. Notice he's searching the scriptures. He's reading the Bible. He's, he's devouring the Bible. You know, uh, we need to also see the ethnic crossings that we have here. Here is a black man that is not some, uh, as many might portray, some some. Uh, uh, aboriginal way in the jungle who can't speak, who's barely wearing clothes. No, this, this man here, he is in the robes of a prince or a king or uh, as a high up dignitary. Here is a wealthy man. Here is a man that is educated. He can read the Hebrew Scriptures. This man has some kind of education. He has some kind of background of training. Here is a man that is wealthy enough to buy a copy of the Scriptures. You know, that's not... Uh, that, that's not some easily, uh, easily done thing in that time. It took men, men months and years to make a copy of the Old Testament. Here this man has purchased his own copy, no doubt, when he was in Jerusalem, that he may read the Scriptures on the way. And here is a poor Christian, a poor uh, a deacon who is, who is blown about by the call of the Gospel, like a John the Baptist figure who wanders around telling the good news, here he's brought to his side. And you can see the ethnic crossover. Here is a man of Jewish descent reaching to an African man. Here is a man of, no po of, of abject poverty reaching out to a wealthy man. Here is a man of limited education in Philip reaching out to an educational man. We must realize that if we get very strict about who we go after in this church, God will be very particular in who he puts in this church. Here we find he's crossing all kinds of ethnic and economic ethnic and economical backgrounds to reach out to this man. And so uh, what I'm saying is that God knows what He's doing. Either, either you plant a seed in unknown, unsown ground or you cultivate the seed that someone else has planted or you harvest a seed that comes to fruition. We are all on a continuum here with these sinners and the people that are unbelieving in Jesus Christ. We're all on a continuum. We may plant seed in some life. We may water seed in another and we may harvest in yet another life. We're all on a continuum. And that's why we should never get down too low when someone doesn't come to Jesus Christ, when they rebuff and turn away, turn away your gospel witness. And we should never get too high when we lead someone to the Lord, when they become a believer, because it's the work of a lot of people down the path behind us. You see, God, God in His Spirit is like the wind and He does what He will as He sees fit. You and I need to know that we just can't go wrong in spreading the gospel. You can't go wrong in sharing the good news. That kid in VBS might not look like much, but, but you do not know what God has in store for this heart and life. That teenager that seems disinterested in the things of God that is cold and bitter and rebellious may well be the one that God breaks in order to shake a high school for the glory of God. You don't know down at the workplace what that man or that lady next to you has been going through. You don't know the near miss they had on the freeway that has kept them awake at night wondering what would happen to them if they died. You don't know that he read that gospel track that he would not ordinarily read but throw into the trash. Last week he read that and actually was considering the claims of Christ. You don't know that friend of his that put his faith and trust in Jesus just weeks earlier and has been sharing the new life that he has encountered in Jesus. You just be obedient to God and you let God handle, handle the growth, handle the, the breaking out of the gospel, handle the salvations. You just be obedient and let the Spirit of God providentially shape the scene of every individual encounter that we have. That's what we see here. The Holy Spirit's behind the scene. He's working all things out to bring the gospel to this one man. We see not only that, we see not only a spiritual shaping, but a gospel, gospel gossiping. Look at verse 35. And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. I mean, one could not ask 
a better jumping off part than to share the gospel. Look at what he's saying. He's reading in Isaiah chapter number 53. This particular incident illustrates the magnificent timing of God. Just as Philip runs up, this Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah 53. Of all chapters for this man to be reading. The chapter in which many Jewish synagogues completely skip over because of the confusion that it causes among them when it's concerning Jesus Christ. It's all centered around the Lord Jesus. And here this unit, he's reading Isaiah 53 on the most glaring portraits of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Now I want to remind you again where Philip was introduced into the book of Acts. He was a deacon. A deacon is not a high up in the church, not necessarily. A deacon is nothing more than a servant. The word diacono in the New Testament is a word that means a tender. It's like um, the servant at a table. You know, you got the waiter that comes up to you and he fills your glass full of, new, of tea and he brings you your food and he, he makes sure you got little biscuits on the table or cornbreads. He, he, he does all the... That's what a deaconess is. That's a servant. It's a table waiter. It is here from which we get our word deacon, a table waiter. He's not an apostle, but he's an attendant. But he had a knowledge of the truth. That's what I want to emphasize. We need to be a people of the truth. No, you're not going to be able to answer every question that may come from every contact that you make when you talk about things of the spiritual nature and of the church and of the Bible and everything. But you ought to know enough about the Bible to take a conversation on a path to an encounter with Jesus Christ. No. You're not probably going to find a lost person in the break room reading Isaiah 53 and be able to go over and say to them, Understandest thou what thou readest? You know, probably not going, that's not probably going to happen to you, but you may get in a conversation around Easter time with a co-worker, with a friend about, about Easter. And you should be able to tell them that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again on that first Easter morning. 1 Peter 3.15 gives us this, this, uh, this uh, abject uh, a command to be prepared. Look at what he says. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with fear and with meekness and fear. Listen, we are soldiers on the battlefield of hearts and minds of men, women, boys, and girls. Knowing the life of Jesus, knowing the truth of His death, knowing the reality of His resurrection are critical in this warfare. Philip took the platform uh, that the sovereignty of God had developed and pointed the man to Jesus. He preached to him, Jesus, be aware for, uh, be aware for the truth of the gospel and be ready to share it. Commenting on the Ethiopian eunuch's question in verse number 34 in which he say, I pray thee of whom the prophet uh, whom the prophet this of him of himself or of some other man. Dr. John Phillips said, what a leading question to ask a preacher of the gospel. It was only a step from the scripture portion to the Savior's person. And I want to I want to, I want to ask you this morning, are you able to take that step from that kind of, of, of God-orchestrated, Holy Spirit-shaped moment in which the themes of the gospel are made readily apparent, are you willing and able to take that one step and bring them to the Savior, uh, the person of the Savior? And notice to him, he preached unto him Jesus. This word preached here in verse number 35 is not necessarily a word like I'm doing this morning. I am preaching to you here uh, this morning, but, uh, but it is a word in the Greek more like keruzo. It's a word often translated preach, but it's a word that has the idea of a, of a message from the king, like a town crier, and he has a message from the king for all to hear. 
And he stands forward on the town square and says, Hear ye, hear ye. Thus saith the king. That's kind of like what I'm doing this morning. I'm giving, I'm, I'm taking the scriptures and I'm saying, Hear ye, hear ye. That's the Karutz type preaching. But this is not, this is not necessarily what is meant in our text. The word preached here in verse number 35 is a word that literally means good message. Good message. It means to announce good news. Quite literally, it means good message. Philip is good messaging the Ethiopian eunuch. The same word is in verse number 4. Do you remember when persecution hit, the Christians were scattered? And it said they went everywhere preaching. It wasn't necessarily a K-Roots moment where they stand on the street corner and say, Hear ye, hear ye the word of the Lord. It is more like a cross the fence uh, from one clothesline to the next sharing of the good news of the gospel. I like to call it a gossiping gospel. To gossip the gospel. That's the kind of preaching that all we all should do. A gossiping the gospel. We gossip the gospel down at the workplace. We gossip the gospel on the phone. We gossip the gospel down at the, at the gas station or at the grocery store. We gossip. We just share the good news. We tell the good news. Just like we would, we would naturally gossip the latest news about the town political state or, or what happened at the school board meeting or what's happening on 136 going down the mountain. You know, we would share with anyone around us. It's the same type of thing. But the good news we share is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's sharing it everywhere they went. I can hear Philip begin as he preached uh, to this Ethiopian eunuch. He starts with the story of Isaiah and he says, no, he's not speaking them of himself, but he speaks of someone else, the Messiah, the promised one of God, and how that he came in a virgin's womb. He performed many miracles and taught the great truths of God. He would tell that dark day on Calvary's crucifixion and the glory of the resurrection of Jesus. He would go on to tell how that Jesus ascended to the Father and his one day coming again to return uh, in, in, in power and glory to this earth. Here he is sharing that good news story. Not in a format such as we have this morning, a karutz, but more of a gossiping the gospel. Sharing the news in, in a conversation. Every one of us on this Gaza road, this road of commission must be willing to simply share the old, old story of Christ Jesus and His love. You remember that old song? Old, old story of Christ Jesus and His love. And notice, fourthly, we see the, a personal professing. A personal professing. Look at me at verse number 36. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. Now, Without one note of just as I am, I can see Philip drawing the net by telling him, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And somewhere amid this gospel message, he must have shared the public affirmation of gospel reception, which is baptism. Because, because the Ethiopian eunuch the first thing we hear him say has something to do with baptized. Why not? Why can't I be baptized right here in this moment? You see, the Ethiopian eunuch was not born again in that latter part of verse number 37. When he says in verse number 37, he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's not where he was born again. I, I don't believe that. I, I believe the work of salvation was done prior to that moment. You see, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch was not born again at the end of verse 37. No, it happened somewhere back down the road a bit. Somewhere back down that dusty road where Philip was preaching of Jesus, the light broke into the heart of this man and he realized that this is the truth 
that he had sought for, that this is what had his, 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 his pursuit had led to the person and salvation by Jesus Christ. You know, more times than not, salvation doesn't come with thunderings and lightning bolts. It comes in a moment of belief in the heart. You know, we look back, we've been going through Philippians in Wednesday night, verse by verse. We look back at the formation of that church. There were several things that happened. You had that, that jailer that was saved miraculously, how that the building fell, and he was going to kill himself in dramatic form. Uh, Paul says, don't kill yourself. He said, we're, we're all safe in here. And he believed on the Lord Jesus after what had taken place there. We have that dynamic portion of when that, that evil spirits were cast out of that girl in Philippi that had pestered and tried to identify herself with Paul and Silas. And he cast the demons out of her. And come to find out they had uh, the men that gained money from her, her evil prophesying uh, lost all their money. Why? Because she had a changed heart. I believe she became a follower of Jesus Christ. But she wasn't the first one to be saved. You remember it was Lydia down by the river where all the Jewish women went in the mornings to wash clothes. Here was Lydia down there, a businesswoman, a seller of purple. And it says distinctly in the text that God opened her heart to the gospel. Not every gospel conversion is with lightning bolts and and dramatic, uh, and dramatic scenes, sometimes it's just a heart open to the gospel. I believe that that's what's what happened to this man here. His heart was open to the things of God. And he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And somewhere along the path, this man believed. And he said, man, I don't want to wait anymore. There's water right here. I believed on the Lord Jesus. Why can't I be born? Why can't I be baptized Right this very moment. But upon his profession, Philip said, slammed on the brakes, stop this chariot and let us get off. I want you to understand something. He didn't give him a 30-day trial of membership. He didn't put him before a committee. He simply took him at his word. And when it comes to salvation, I believe we should do the same. Take people at their word. Here we find this man put his faith and trust in Jesus. Then notice also we have a redeemed rejoicing. Look at verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. You know, I might have been scratching my head saying, I wonder what happened to this guy. What happened to him? I know he was here a minute ago, but no, this man went away rejoicing. Notice the joy that he experienced, this Ethiopian union experience, because of Philip's personal evangelism. Philip was caught away by the Spirit of God. Using this word uh, that is used in this text is the same word that is used to reference to what will happen to the church at the rapture. A catching away. Uh, in the Thessalonian chapter number 4, uh, passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter number 4 where it talks about uh, that, that with a, a voice and a sound of a trumpet they'll be caught away and meet the Lord in there. That caught away is the word harpazo. We get our word harpoon. You ever seen maybe in those ocean movies they'll have a They'll have a harpoon. It's like a gun and it's got a, it's got a, a long dart with a, with a burr on the end of it and it's like a, it's like a spear. And they, they'll shoot that into a fish. and It's the word harpazo. And it means to, to catch away, to pull back. That's what the harpoon does. They have a rope on the end. They, they spear that animal and they pull it to themselves. That's what's being pictured here. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that Philip just got all, got all, got in the, in the got his shouting shoes on and just went to shouting and praising the Lord that the guy got baptized and, and somehow just ran off. No, this is supernatural. Pew, gone. In a moment. One moment he was there, the next moment he's gone. Just like it will be at the rapture of the church. One moment they're there, the next moment they are gone. Here's what, here's what happened. Philip was gone. Before the water could be brushed from the eunuch's eyes, he found himself alone, sitting and standing in that water. But it didn't dampen his joy. 
It didn't dampen what God had done in his heart. This man's life was changed in an instant. He had passed from death unto life. From eternal damnation to eternal elation. He had been changed forever. He had passed from death to life. And not, not everybody on this Gaza road that we walk, this great commission road is going to hear what we have to say. You may run into people and try to share a gospel track with them and, and maybe I don't want none of that. Leave me alone. You may knock on a door. You may, you may find yourself in a conversation and people roll their eyes when you talk about church or talk about the Bible. And, and they, they, they may not be many people that believe you as you walk your Gaza road, as you walk the road of the Great Commission. But I tell you, it's all worthwhile when there's one in whom the Spirit of God has been shaping, has been drawing to a point, and you're there as a ready witness of the good news of Jesus, and they put their faith and trust in Jesus, and that joy overtakes them, of that life-changing presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, there is nothing like it in this world. Nothing like it in this world. The joy that is brought into people's lives by sharing the good news of the forgiveness of sin in the person of Jesus. Your God's a road is a place where lives are changed. Where joy is found in believing peoples. And notice lastly, we see a compelled continuation. Look at verse 40. But Philip was found at Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all cities till he came to Caesarea. Notice the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch was not the be-all and the end-all of his ministry. You know, if Philip were been alive and, and this had happened in our day of time, why, Philip would instantly write a book on the experience that he had being called away. The name of the book would be called away. And he'd write a bestseller. And he had been, been on the Christian bookstore shelf. And, and he would have he gone on an 18-month book tour where he signed books and telling this same story over and over and over. On every radio broadcast and every morning TV show, he would be there and tell about his catching away experience. Why? He would have been on the 700 Club and TBN. And they would have done a long dramatization of his experience along this interview. He would have been doing everything but continuing to do what God had called him to do. Thank God he lived in the first century and not the 21st century. 40, verse 40 tells us that he landed, he landed from his harpazo in the city of Azotus and he, he hit the ground running. He's still telling the story. He's still preaching the good news of Jesus. He's looking for that next soul. He's sharing that good news with his hair on fire, sharing the good news of Jesus, wondering, never wondering what happened to the Ethiopian eunuch. We didn't see him chewing his fingernails to the quick, wondering, I wonder what happened to him. I wonder what happened. Oh, man, I hope he was real. I hope he, hope. listen, there's nothing wrong with discipleship. There's nothing wrong with, with, with taking people that put their faith and trust in Jesus and training them and growing them, encouraging them in their faith and teaching them, admonishing them. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's not all up to you. The Spirit of God worked in this Ethiopian eunuch's heart. And Philip trusted that God, that the good work that God began in his heart and life, God would, con uh, would, would continue it under the day of Jesus Christ. Seems like I read that somewhere. I don't know where. Well, or it might have been Philippians chapter number 1, verse number 6. That God would finish the good work that he started in the life of a believer. He entrusted him to the keeping of God. And so just because you lead one person to Jesus and God uses you to instruct the mature one person who is being used by God, it doesn't mean your work is done. No, we're to advance and keep on keeping on and keep telling the story. You just you, you don't hit a quota. You know, when, when, you're, when, you're, when you're sharing the gospel, I don't hit a quota, I just keep sharing the good news. <laughs> What we see in the count of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch is a cameo. 
It's, it's a frozen in time portrait on the road of every, that every child of God travels, the Gaza Road, the road of the Great Commission. Now the focus of this message is to drive home a twofold uh, message. Twofold. Number one, child of God, this is to encourage both you and to me to know that God is working behind the scenes. You can't put the gospel in a wrong place. You can't share the gospel in the wrong location. God is working behind the scene in the lives of those around us. And our heavenly Father and our heavenly mandate is not to convince. It's not to make converts. It is to tell the good news and simply tell the good news and leave the, leave the results up to God. Take that monkey off your back. I'll never forget when I first started sharing the gospel, we had an outline that we would use with people and, and uh, I would, you know, we'd go door to door and I would share that outline just like they taught me to and they would say, oh, I'm not interested and they'd you know, kind of close the door or end the, end the conversation or whatever and I always thought, man, if I could just, if I'd just emphasize this one point a little better, if I just made this transition just a little bit smoother, hey, take that monkey off your back. Tell him about Jesus God is able to take that and do His work and do His will in your sharing the gospel. Twofold, number one, God's working behind the scene. You just tell the story. Number two, to share with you that has just wandered into this service or that maybe are listening online and remind you that nothing happens by happenstance. That God is in the background working in your life and in mine to bring you to the point where I have shared with you the greatest story ever told. The good news of Jesus Christ. I beg you that are listening without a saving knowledge of Jesus, put your trust in Him. Trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I call you to repent, to turn, to come to Jesus Christ and put your faith and trust in Him. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the news that changes lives. There are a lot of people that laid the seed in my life and that watered and nourished and trimmed around that seed until one day it came to fruition. And God, I'm thankful for all the faithful witnesses along the past. Help, path. Help us, Father. Help us, Father, be, be faithful witnesses along the path to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.